What's going on you rogues, rebels, and renegades? Welcome to episode 64 of the Rogue Country Podcast. Today we have Pete Bernard from The Devil Makes 3. But before that, let's get down to our lovely sponsor. Today we are brought to you by Pick Print Screen Printing. They're a Liverpool-based, family-run hand screen printing company. And I love these guys. They do my t-shirts. They do the Rogue Country t-shirts. They do Josh Bettis' t-shirts. So if you need band merch, workwear, business uniforms, club or sports team wears or apparel lines, please get in touch with them. They use eco-friendly inks. It's all done by hand and they're just an incredible company to wear with. I love them and you should go support them. Yes, and we do have brand new Rogue Country merch in our band camp. We have brand new t-shirts and we have brand new mugs. They have, of course, been printed by Pick Print Screen Printing and we wouldn't use anyone else. They are available in our band camp right now. Go grab them. Today, we have the amazing Pete Bernard from The Devil Makes Three and he is going on tour with Clyde McGee from The Bridge City Sinners across all of March and April. So this episode we needed to release when we did so you could know about these. He is going across Germany the Netherlands and Belgium and you do not want to miss any of these dates head over to his website at petebernhard.com or at petebernhard on any of his social medias to find out the dates head over to Clyde McGee to do the same and you do not want to miss this tour you also do not want to miss our next guest who is going to be out a week today with Mike from Mike and the Moon Pies he is on tour in the UK from the 1st of April to the 5th of April I'm opening for him in Manchester on the 4th of April. Ags is opening for him in Nottingham and Oxford on the 3rd and 5th. This tour is going to be incredible and you do not want to miss that either. And speaking of unmissable tours, we've got rogue friend and family Luke Hendrickson coming over. And I'm going on tour with him across the end of April, across England and Wales. And you do not want to definitely miss these shows. On April 22nd, we're at Dark Earth Records in Wallasey. For an afternoon show to celebrate Record Store Day. Then April 22nd in the evening we're at the Underground in Bradford with Chris Dover and the Hoodoo Operators. Then we're going to Salty Dog in Northwich on April 23rd. April 24th we're in my hometown in Birkenhead at the Swinging Arm. April 25th we're in Sheffield at the Dorothy Parks. April 26th we're in Newark at the Flying Circus. April 28th we're at the Whip and Kitten in Rossendale. Then we're heading down to hang out with Josh Bettis at the Brecon Tap in Brecon on April 29th. And then me, Luke, and Josh are playing the Dukes of Highgate in London on April 30th. This is going to be a tour for the ages, and you do not want to miss Luke Hendrickson's first UK tour. I hope you got to see John R. Miller and J.P. Harris, who were on tour across the UK earlier this month. Jackson Ward went to the Manchester date and wrote a lovely review for us, which is over on the Rogue social media pages, so please go check that out. But let's get down to brass tacks. Pete Bernard from The Devil Makes Three, you know him, you know his band. His solo stuff is incredible. He's going on tour across Europe with Clyde McGee soon, and this was a genuinely lovely chat to talk to an artist I truly respect. So without further ado, this is episode 64 of the Rogue Country Podcast with Mike West and Pete Bannon. Yeah, like we were just talking about, with kind of you've been doing music for over 20 years now and we've just been talking about kind of mid-sized venues and like the lack of them in Liverpool and Manchester. When did you really become aware of like venue sizes mattering in like that progression in careers because it sometimes seems from a outside perspective it's someone will play like an open mic like Ed Sheeran and then they'll end up headlining Glastonbury but for mm-hmm. a lot of people they don't realize there's so many steps in between those things mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think we realized that pretty early on. Um, cause yeah, we, we definitely didn't go from the open mic to, mm-hmm. uh, the headlining of a festival. Um, so yeah, we took all the steps in between. And when we first started the group, uh, you know, we were playing, uh, mainly in San Francisco Bay area. And so there it was like, um, it was, it was, you know, we played the same clubs for years on end and there was very clear ways to get up. You know what I mean? You had the you had the open mic, the small place, then the mid-sized venue, then slightly bigger than the biggest, you know. So we really learned to go through those and we played in California for quite a while before we toured outside. Mm. Cuz mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing about America and what I've seen from people who kind of offer music advice on the internet, they're always saying, you know, tour locally until you can kind of build which is different for the UK because it's such a small island, but people travel less. So it's like you feel like you can do a tour in the UK or Europe easier and reach new people than it seems like America it is. You have to kind of not be necessarily hometown heroes, but you do hammer like your state, which like California is massive and mm-hmm. states in America are huge. And you do have that opportunity to just beat the shit out of the venues in your area before you can, you know, build and expand. Yeah. Not only, I mean, you, you sort of have to. Mm. Um, because like you said, it's so big. And that's one of the things I love about touring in Europe is that like for us, it's, uh, it seems like all the drives are short. You yeah. know, it's like everything's close together. You know, I have friends who do tours on trains, you know, they, yeah. they can get from one place to the other and then they might have to fly to a gig or something. And that's basically impossible here. Mm. Um, yeah, I really encourage like especially new artists to, you know, really work their local scene as much as humanly possible. And uh, there's no point in going across the United States because, like you said, it's so big. I mm. mean, you just get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And with kind of your scene being that Americana Med folk style was the that scene when you started out in 2002 or did you see it kind of take you know bloom because a lot of artists in say the last five or so years with folks like Amigo the Devil Bridge City Sinners who I know you know have you seen was there a scene back then in 2002 or have you seen it grow exponentially oh no I've definitely seen it grow mm. uh it's not that it didn't exist back then but it was very very small um and a lot of times too because we were a band without a drummer uh, we would usually get asked to play between bands. Mm. It was like kind of considered not that serious a thing. There was a very much a bluegrass scene, uh, like a traditional music scene, but not exactly the same as what we were doing. And yeah, we watched it grow. And honestly, we were lucky to be a band at that time when it mm. did grow so much. Um, we really, you know, that was great for our group because when we started out, it was pretty hard to get a gig. Mm. Um, and then over time, you know, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was just our good luck, honestly. No, that's awesome. Cause it's, it's a weird thing when a band doesn't have a drummer, it does seem like you're at a bit of a disadvantage because people do not necessarily think you can either hold a crowd's attention or make that much noise. Cause as a solo artist myself, I normally tour with either me or me and a fiddle player and we've got a drummer coming, but it is one of those things where if I don't have a drummer, I've been told, well, you aren't a real band. So we won't mm-hmm. put you on. And it's it's a weird thing. And it's interesting to see, you know, you guys came up against that as well. Yeah, it was it was constant. And also when we first started playing, we would play with a lot of kind of 
bands outside of our genre we played mm. with a lot of punk bands and stuff like that and usually it was like yeah you don't have a drummer you're not a band and <laughs> it's the same thing when i play solo as well it's you know similar treatment to what you're getting you know mm. it's like a drummer makes a band a real band and so we mm. did you know struggle with that at first and i think as time went by it was kind of the genre oh, the style of music grew and then people were more accepting it was mm. like okay a guy with a guitar and a and a fiddle player that's a band a, a guy with a guitar player and a banjo player and a bassist that's a band too you know it kind of opened up the idea of what was possible mm. which was great at, at the beginning it was frustrating but it got better yeah and did you find i've always found that the punk and metal scenes were a lot more embracing like the country americana bluegrass scenes of your type of music do you find that 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 was kind of like the early takers on was the punk and metal kids as opposed to the traditional like minded folks yeah we actually we, they would give us shows you know yeah. <laughs> that's really it you know it was sort of those that was our friend group um and where we we really started playing um uh, and we would help our friends get shows when we could and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, they were really open-minded. I mean, they were willing to do it. Yeah. Um, and also at that time, you know, uh, there would be a lot of bands on a bill. So, you know, they were always willing to add something and they didn't really care if the genre was the same. Mm. Uh, one of my early gigs when we played in Eugene, Oregon was actually a friend of ours. We got in touch with who books metal and we called him and he said, no, I don't want to do the show, but what kind of music do you play? We told him we played kind of like, you know, folk music, traditional music. Um, and he and he agreed to do it. <laughs> he was just <laughs> like, I don't want to book any more metal. But he was willing to book us. So, yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, there was a lot of open minded people. Mm. No, awesome. And going way back to the beginning, I read that you got your first guitar at 12 years old and your dad was the one who gave you lessons initially. Do you remember kind of what you grew up? listening to and what you started playing or what he started showing you back in like when you first started oh yeah definitely my dad was a big influence and also my brother as well mm -hmm. was a big influence on my music and uh, my musical taste and my dad was really into um uh lightning hopkins was mm -hmm. his like favorite blues guy so that was some of the first blues music that i ever heard i absolutely love that but my dad also loved um bob dylan uh the police the talking heads um he had a he loved bob marley some reggae he had like very extensive mm. reggae uh like record collection he, he had like a lot of interesting taste and my brother then introduced me to the more um kind of like uh he knew that i was interested in blues music and he bought me um uh album collection called the willie dixon chess box which mm. was all of the blues records from chess records and he also bought me a collection of all of uh, robert johnson's like complete recordings mm. and that was like i was probably about 13 12 or 13 and that was really life-changing um so between my father and my brother i got a really great musical education and they both were guitarists and singers mm. Um, my uncle was also a guitarist and a singer. My aunt was a guitarist and a singer. So I had a lot of uh, great influences around me growing up. No, that's that's awesome. I, I think it's like it's really important because I remember I used to watch like old videos of Kiss and stuff and see Ace Frehley playing and be like, oh my god, that's fucking amazing. And I always wanted to pick up a guitar, but it wasn't until my sister kind of brought my brother-in-law home when they first started dating. And he was a guitarist, and to see it accessible 
is more of a mind-blowing thing than seeing Eddie Van Halen shred or to see someone play it in real life in front of you who you know normally. I always think it's such an underrated thing to have in the house or in the family. And that's really what I see influences a lot of people more than, you know, the typical guitar heroes that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, my aunt and my brother and my father, they're sort of like your first, you know, mm. heroes uh in your family and they all played so it was obvious that i wanted to do the same thing from a pretty young age and yeah i think it really helps it's i think it's more difficult i mean you know even my aunt was kind of like a regional uh artist growing Mm. up and she did a lot of concerts we would go watch her play and yeah it was like yeah it's, it's possible yeah you know it's possible she's doing it i can do it you know uh my younger sister used to go on stage and sing with my aunt you know when she was like nine and so yeah it makes it makes it real no that's awesome and going back to like robert johnson and stuff like i'm a huge robert johnson fan what was it about you that first struck it when you first started listening because i remember i think it was a metal hammer article where they were talking about influences of like devil music pre-metal and mm-hmm. they had like an article on robert johnson and i went back and listened to it and was just blown away by it but what do you remember is like the first thing that like, struck you from his playing and his sound? I loved, I mean, well, first of all, him playing solo, there's this really cool aspect of kind of call and response mm. uh, between the singing and the guitar, which is something I'm still working on doing, you know, finger picking today. And I feel like I, when I first heard that, I thought, wow, so much more is possible. Um, but then also, you know, there's the, the songs themselves are pretty dark. Mm. Um, and I was drawn to that as well. And there is a there is a connection, you know, kind of between um, that and rock and roll, of course, and then metal and punk music as well. And I think there was something about that I just found really alluring. And um, I started pretty early on to try and learn to finger pick too. Mm. So those were my first, you know, influences. And I think I'm still I'm still chasing that today. Mm. You know. Yeah. And no, totally. It's one of those things where you always try and capture that feeling of when you first like discover, like I remember first listening to Blind Willie Johnson and I had him on my headphones. I stopped what I was doing to be like, holy fuck. And even now when I listen to another artist in the back of my head, I feel like, is this going to hit me like that again? And it's mm-hmm. such a cool feeling to get to connect with an artist like that. Yeah. And I had that, I had that a hundred percent with the Willie Dixon uh, stuff as well, which is a bunch of different artists, you know, who are singing his songs. That was you know, it was Muddy Waters and mm. Little Walter and all these people, too. And I, I just had this, I don't know, I think it was just like, I i still listen to that music now, and I still love it like I did then. Mm. Um, which is, I mean, you know, I mean, I am the type of person who does get hooked on, you know, certain sounds and stuff like that. But I feel like it is timeless, yeah. at least for me, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's because of the age of it like if like i grew up like i'm a huge lincoln park fan but mm-hmm. i was there kind of at the beginning of it and there at the end of it while well, this was began and ended before me so it seems like it's just in this own universe of something that is just timeless mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know why either i always had a real fascination with older music mm. um I, i'm not sure exactly why it could be because of my dad's you know uh, record collection like early introduction to to blues music and older rock music that i just absolutely loved but i mean even i remember in high school you know i i, I loved listening to that stuff and that was at a time 
when you know like uh, middle school high school everybody was really into metal mm. that was what was popular at that time where i lived and then i was into this very old you know blues music stuff um i liked metal as well but not as much mm. you know and um i'm not really sure why that happened but um it's still that way today <laughs> mm. and did that kind of inform when you were doing the redemption and ruin album because I, like i'm a huge chris christopherson fan and obviously you did chase the feeling i was like this the fucking best thing ever but did that kind of inform the decision making process when you picked the songs because you picked some of like the artist obscure songs like with robert johnson it wasn't kind of like crossroads it wasn't like the obvious choices with hank williams it was angel of death and as opposed to you know one of his bigger hits was that kind of informed when you were picking those songs out yeah, it definitely was 100%. And I mean, also with that album, too, it was kind of like a concept of having, you know, a side for redemption and a side for ruin. Mm. So that kind of informed the, the, you know, the choices of the tunes. But honestly, that was just hero worship. <laughs> really, you know, it's like great to be able to play these songs and, and uh, you know, pay tribute to these artists that you love. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I could make five more albums like that and then not be done you know yeah. with the, yeah. with all the people that i love but yeah we definitely chose more obscure songs and um and songs that fit with the concept of two different sides of the album mm. were yeah. there any songs that you wanted to go on on didn't just make it that you were hoping to or you were thinking of recording before then or did you have those kind of songs like hammered down that this was going to be the record we pretty much had those hammered down yeah yeah we spent a lot of time choosing them um, but I mean, honestly, though, yeah, I mean, if we started thinking about it again, there's a ton more. There's a ton more. We actually recorded one on that uh, session that I have lost track of that was by a guy named Riley Puckett. And it was called Ragged But Right. And we recorded it for that session and didn't make it onto the record. Um, but there was a ton of songs we listened to. I mean, yeah, if we were to go back through it, we could make probably four more albums <laughs> like that. Yeah. Awesome. And going on to your Harmony Ascension Division record, the solo mm -hmm. record from 2020, that was recorded all in like one session. Was that written in one session? Uh, it wasn't written in one session, but it definitely was recorded in one. Mm. Yeah. And um, mostly because of the situation with COVID, it was like... Um, you know, that was the way I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> there was, there was like, you know, you go in the studio and sort of get it done in a short period of time. Um, but it was written over a long period of time. I have a tendency to like, you know, let songs kind of kick around for a mm. while. Um, it's a big complaint with, you know, people who want a lot of material. <laughs> I tend to like take my time uh, with the song and, um, you know, it might be around for years before I feel like it's finished. And some of the songs I wrote, while we were recording some of them i'd had for mm. for quite a while and um for me it just depends you know and some songs i feel like they just need more time mm. is that kind of you have the verses right out and then you go back and redraft or is it you have like two thirds of a song and it's the last third of a song that you're kind of mulling over sometimes uh the whole song's finished which is great uh other times all i have is like a chorus and a line you know what I mean? I feel like it's a good song, but I need time to mess around with it. And that was one nice thing about that is that I had a lot of time mm. to kind of write in the studio, which is something that can be difficult, you know, when you're on kind of a time crunch. Mm. 
um, you know, you feel like you got to get the record out. It's like, well, if a song isn't working, you know, you have a tendency to be like, well, maybe we save this for next time. Maybe this isn't one that's ready. You know, maybe I need to put it back in the shop. But having more time, you know, it could kind of mess around with it, which was great. You know, it's kind of like the experience of um, back when they had like huge budgets for records. Mm. And you could just spend like, a, you know, six months in the studio or whatever. I didn't do that. But um, I think, you know, for me, I had more time and space. And it mm. was that was really great. Mm. And do you have your own studio or is it a studio local to you that you use regularly to kind of use that time? I do have my own studio, but honestly, I don't really have that gift. I have a lot of friends who can just like lock themselves in a room and make an amazing album, but I really need um, somebody to bounce things off of, Mm. even if it's just an engineer. And also, I really appreciate somebody who has, you know, that talent to Mm. be able to make everything sound the way that it should and run things. And um, yeah, so for me, no, I I actually use the local studio for that. Um, a friend of mine who lives pretty nearby, it was up in the mountains and it was a really nice, peaceful studio. Uh, and that's what I usually do. I make demos at home. I mm. feel like demos are, that's about where I, where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. Nothing that takes too many layers or clicks or stop starts. Nah, for me, it like takes me out of the experience of, of writing, you know, yeah. I'll start doing something and then I, you know, I'll start messing around with trying to get it to sound a certain way or maybe getting the tracks to line up or I have a problem with latency or something like that. And the next thing I know, I'm not doing what I came there to do, you know, so I've learned the hard way. Mm. Yeah. And with that album, it's a lot of songs that are kind of like narrative based and personally drawn from your past was that with your solo stuff is that a conscious choice as opposed to kind of the devil makes three stuff is it this is you know your voice is you know as honest as you can be as opposed to with a trio where you kind of expected to have a persona or some mm-hmm. sort of image to push yeah exactly um that is that is a big part of it and a lot of the songs too that i don't end up using um, for the band, you know, I'll play on my own. And in and, and the band, too, I do a lot of character writing, mm. um, which is always really fun. You know, it's like I take a story that I want to tell. It isn't necessarily something that happened to me. Yeah. Um, but it's just a it's a it's like a, a fun challenge and an interesting thing to try and write about, take somebody's life or yeah. something that happened in their life, a specific situation. And I do that a lot for the band. And, yeah, I do that less Um or when I'm playing by myself, I think it has a more personal aspect to mm-hmm. it. Um, Cause you know, as you know, when you play by yourself, it's a different experience. Yeah. Uh, when you've got a whole band up there, it's, um, it's just a different feel, you know? Uh, so yeah, yeah, definitely. When I approach writing solo songs, it is more, it comes from a more personal place. Mm. And is it, cause obviously with kind of, it still is narrative songs. So do you kind of, look at your past experiences and try and plot them in a narrative, like in a story way as you do with Devil Makes 3? Or do you just kind of, you know, these are the kind of emotions and intent I want to express and write from that point? I think a lot of times what I'm doing is kind of thinking about how I can process these things that happened. Mm. You know what I mean? So like, say I have a situation or somebody, you know, like, um, especially on the last record, you know, I might write a song about a friend who, you know, passed away or something mm. like that. I think it's just me trying to wrap my head around yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's like, if I can write the song 
and um, it kind of can deepen my understanding of what happened or just make me feel better about it. I mean, that's a, that's a huge part of uh, music in general for me. Mm. Is, um, and it's also a huge part of the music that I listen to. You can sometimes, you know, listen to a song that is just like we were talking about earlier, you know, like some of the blues stuff like Robert Johnson, like the song itself is really dark and, you know, can be pretty depressing, but somehow listening to it makes you feel better. Yeah. And I mean, for me, that's the trick. And that that's kind of what I'm trying to accomplish. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I don't necessarily approach it with a story in mind. Mm. Um, I just kind of let it take shape. Mm. You know, I mean, I feel like songwriting for me at its best is when I don't actually feel like I'm totally in control. Yeah. You know, like I have a, I have an idea. I kind of can let it take shape. And I feel like if I, if I try too hard, sometimes I end up ruining it. Mm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, when no, it's totally. Good, you know, when it's good, I feel like I don't have to try that hard. Um, uh, you know, sometimes that's not true. I've had songs that I banged around for years and they they got great. And a lot of too with help of bandmates or friends mm. and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, I find that, yeah, I don't I don't plan too much. I try and just let it happen. Mm. I think that helps with what you're talking about when you're trying to process something in your life as well. I think that really helps because songwriting is kind of stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So when... I assume when you're writing these things, you're trying to remove as much of a filter as you can to try and catch everything. But by removing that filter, you're removing your own biases to that situation. So when you actually come to it again, you're like, oh, fuck, this is the process to it. This is why I'm actually angry at this person. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm really sad that they're gone. It takes like a whole new level to it that you've managed to kind of remove yourself. As opposed to if you sat there and thought about that situation, you mm-hmm. wouldn't reach the same destination. Yeah, it's almost like you can look at it like it was happening to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, I think that is kind of a little bit of character writing, even though it is you and your personal experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It is It is kind of a little bit of character writing because you, you are approaching it like you're outside of it, mm-hmm. like it didn't happen to you, like it happened to somebody else. And I think there's something you can create too, you know, where somebody else has had a similar experience and they feel that as well. That's really the best thing about music for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. you know there's that that connection that you can sometimes make mm. and is there anything you can kind of think of in a particular song that when you've kind of taken it to a friend or a bandmate and they've pointed something out or given some feedback to a song that that's when it's clicked well actually i have a weird experience with songs sometimes where i write a song and i think it's about a certain subject and then as time passes it becomes mm. <laughs> like i sort of realized maybe mm. it was about something else you know what I mean? And and I've had that experience with, you know, people asking me, oh, well, is this song about that? And then, you know, sort of as I think about it, I'm like, maybe it is. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like the meaning of the song yeah. can change over time. And I've definitely had that happen where I've written a song and then, you know, years later, I'm like, wow, you know, I think that song may have been more about that than it was what I intentionally thought I was writing about, mm. which is great. I mean, I think that's that's something that could keep a song alive. Yeah. You know? Mm. No, that's awesome. Um, kind of going back to when I was doing some research for this, it was, you know, talked about um, playing guitar at 12 and doing open mics at 15. And one of the lines that caught my eye was banging the stage fright out of your voice and fingers early on. Was stage fright something you kind of dealt with when you first started out when you were like 15 or so? 
Yeah, I've always been really happy that I started so young, and I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, of open mics. Mm. Um, I think it's just such a good place to start. You know, it's like a really, um, it's so true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you play an open mic and, and people <laughs> like it, they really like it. And if they don't, they really don't. You know, it's it's like, it's it's very honest in there. Most mm. people, you know, who come are, are waiting to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they like it. And, and then it's their friends and family. So they have no reason to like you. So if they do, they really do. You know, and I always, I always really liked that a lot. But um, yeah, when I was young, I definitely had serious stage fright. Mm. And I, I really hated public speaking. I didn't like to be on stage. And I think that the great thing about starting so young is I just got all of that out of the way. Mm. And I, I think, I think about that a lot because especially with, you know, friends or people I've known who kind of want to start a music career later in life, I think, oh man, that's just must be so difficult because I, I was a teenager, you know, mm. so I was very nervous, but that was normal. I mean, who isn't nervous at, yeah. you know, 15 years old or 16 years old. So I got to get up there and, you know, make a fool of myself. <laughs> and I found like it was such a good environment to do that in. Mm. I was also met other people who were doing the same thing, you know, met people who I looked up to. They were way better than I was. They had done shows in other towns, mm. you know, it was like a great way to get inspired. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I feel like that's, that's the best way to do it. Mm. You know, I think it's the best way to start, to start out. And I'm, I'm just glad that I didn't do it when I was like 30, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it is one of those things. I remember having stage fright when I was a kid and it took me, like I, I did that, you know, you see it in films and stuff where someone gets up to like me and my friends and put a band together and I was going to sing and then I went to and no, nothing came out. Yeah. And then it's like, everyone's looking and everyone's mm-hmm. look. I, that ruined me for like another five or six years and mm-hmm. it took me ages to try and get back onto that thing. But it is like the earlier you kind of can start and get it out of your system. Hopefully it won't creep back up again or, you know, you won't start later and have to deal with that. Yeah. The great thing about sort of starting out, you know, in, in playing in bars and open mics and stuff like that is you're not the only one that that's going to happen to. Yeah. Like somebody else is going to choke. You know what I mean? It's like that, that's what it's made for. And so that's great too. Like if I, if I got up there and played and I did a really bad job, my nerves just got the better of me. It's like, well, there's somebody coming that's going to do the same thing. So it's like, Mm. you don't have to feel like, oh my God, you know, I blew it for everybody. There's such, such low pressure. Mm. And um, yeah, I really appreciate that. But I got to say though, I mean, even that said, there's a big difference, you know, and now that I'm going and doing shows um, by myself. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a completely different thing. Mm. And uh, and having played with a band for so long, you know, I realized like getting on stage by myself, I was like, wow, you know, this is almost like I'm starting over mm. again, mm. Um, which was two things, you know, both really, really um, frightening, but also really fun. Yeah. You know, because I was also just remembering those times of like, wow, yeah, this is what it's like to get on stage by yourself. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Mm. And with, I saw you recently did your first solo tour of Canada, and this is your first solo tour of Europe coming up. Is the yeah. solo project something you've kind of only recently started touring uh, on your own? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um, and a big part of that is that, you know, The Devil Makes Three is uh, spread out. 
Yeah. Um, you know, we're not, we have members in uh, Nashville, Texas, uh, Vermont, um, Rhode Island. So um, it's kind of a way for me to just be able to continue to play. Yeah. Um, yeah and it, I did go on a, one solo tour of the West Coast a long time ago. I, I don't know, like 2016 or something like that. Um, but that's, yeah, this is probably, these are the first tours that I've ever done, uh, solo and especially outside the United States. Mm. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And going back to kind of, you know, that nervousness when you did that tour of the West coast and stuff, was it kind of a nervousness of, you know, are people even going to show up? Are people just wanting like devil makes three? Like, was there a lot of kind of apprehension before you did that? And obviously have you seen that kind of been dissuaded by the reactions when people have been out yeah i mean it's always a, it's always a concern yeah you know for sure and I, I mean i think uh you know when when you go out it's two things you know <laughs> maybe three things but it's like you is anybody going to come mm. first off i mean that's a thing for any performer you know any band that's always the biggest question and then if they come you know are they going to just want to hear the band mm. And then, you know, after that, if they hear your music, are they going to like it? You know what I mean? It's like it's it's a lot of questions come up for sure. And I definitely had that when I played in California, because for, you know, for the band, I mean, for instance, in Canada, we're not that well known mm. um, in California. That was like hometown uh, crowd. So that was definitely a concern um, before I did it. And, uh, and it, it always is, you know, it always is. It's like um, when you're in a group you know, people expect a group. Yeah. And when you play by yourself, it's it's different, you know, and it's like either people are going to be accepting or they're not. <laughs> no way to know. Mm. No, it's always interesting. And the showing up thing always, I always remember there's a Henry Rollins story when he's talking about opening for an arena band and he kind of got off stage and the headliner was like, are people actually out there? And he was like, a fucking course there is and it turns out it was Ozzy Osbourne that was asking that question mm. and it always laugh, makes me laugh that even at like that level it's still in the back of your head that that's a thing that can happen and it's a really interesting kind of perspective of a musician that no matter what kind of stage you're at in life that's always the worry mm-hmm. yeah I don't think it ever goes away and I, I think that's that's like being an artist in general of mm-hmm. any kind. It's it's kind of like the curse. You know, I mean, the great thing about it is that you get the, you know, hopefully, if you can, you get the freedom mm-hmm. to play music or do art and, and have that be your life and your lifestyle, which is great. The hard part is that it can end at any moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you always sort of have that insecurity of like, you know, am I going to go out there and nobody's going to be there? Mm. And I think, you know, I mean, Ozzy Osbourne, I mean, God, they reached a level that you should never feel that way. But yeah. I think at that point, it's so ingrained. Yeah. So many years of wondering, you know, oh, is are people going to show up? Are they going to like the record? Is it going to work out? You know what I mean? So it's like it's just a curse. It's just that's just what it is, I think, to do any sort of art. Um. God, I, I can't believe that's still happening to somebody that big, but I yeah. guess it's possible, you know? Yeah. No, totally. So obviously you've got the European tour coming up, which is your first solo one. And I, you know, I know for a fact, you're not going to have to worry about people showing up. I know in my little corner of the world, people have been buzzing about this tour and it's with him, Clyde McGee as well from Bridge City Sinners. Where did you meet Clyde? Was it through the Sinners first? Actually, no. Um, that came through uh, the people who are booking the tour in Europe. 
Oh, really? And they actually, yeah, and they actually um, came up with the idea, like, hey, you guys both want a tour here. Why don't you do the tour together? Mm. Um, and I was like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. And honestly, for me, um, after being in a band for so many years, you know, touring by yourself can be a little lonely. Mm. <laughs> Um, so I was like, that's a great combination. And um, and actually, when we get back from the tour, I think I'm going to go and do some dates with him in Colorado as well. Oh, cool. So we're going to kind of continue it a bit more after it's over. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the connection. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And with this European, so obviously you've toured Europe before with the Devil Makes 3 and everything. Um, how have you found the difference between kind of like the American crowds, the UK crowds, and the European crowds? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, there's a lot of differences for sure. Um, I think what I've found mostly is that the crowds in Europe, or at least for the band, um, were a little bit less rowdy, hmm. a little bit less wild than the crowds in the United States, but also uh, way more um, attentive. Mm. Um, so I'm really excited about that in terms of playing solo. That's really great. Um, sometimes it can be hard, uh, depending on the environment, to win over. Um, yeah. Some people playing uh, as a solo artist, it can be really difficult. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was one of the differences. And also, um, just as like a musician touring in Europe, people uh, have a tendency to be, there's a lot more hospitality. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, in the United States, it's not really expected that a, a group will get, you know, will get a place to stay. Yeah. Um, or necessarily food or any, any sort of welcome. <laughs> yeah. like, you, know, you, you get there, you know, you're welcome to the venue or whatever, and you play the gig. Everything else is on your own. And one thing I found in Europe is that, yeah, there's just so much more hospitality in terms of, People will like, you know, welcome you into their home. And, mm. you know, I, I even had people be like, you can stay in my apartment. I'm going to go and stay at a friend's, which is, I mean, I hate to say it about my own country, but it's kind of unheard of here. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody, nobody will do that. Um, yeah. And the audiences in, in Europe have been really, um, really like receptive and people mm. are having a great time, but they also really want to listen. Mm. Um the only negative thing that we've experienced a little bit of is that we don't do great in Southern Europe. Mm. Um, and I think partially, like you said, a lot of the songs are really lyric based. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if the feeling of the song transfers as much if you can understand the lyrics. Yeah. And also I have a tendency to write really uh, as many lyrics as I can pack <laughs> into a song. <laughs> it's like mm. a small novel. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, but we—I've had a great time there. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, that's like France and Spain, really, because I've toured and I've done um, Netherlands, Germany, and uh, Belgium, and they seem to be kind of the best, like kind yeah. of run of shows. But it is an interesting thing how, like, because I know there's a Spanish band called Moonshine Wagon, but you know they kind of come up or they come to the UK and it's just fucking you know amazing. Mm-hmm. But then they do sing in Spanish as well. It's a really interesting kind of divide from that but it's interesting how even across the water from europe to uk uk seems a lot more american in that you don't get food you don't get accommodation you know mm-hmm. you'll get a handshake hopefully mm-hmm. but, you know europe kind of is this promised land for tour and it's a really interesting culture that they've built and it's just it's amazing and it's envious to be on like the other side of it and see that thing 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the first time that we did it, I was I was blown away. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's something that you might experience at, at sort of like a smaller level um, DIY punk yeah. shows in the United States. That definitely happens. I mean, you know, some somebody who you know, who's like a friend, will book the whole tour. Or they'll let you stay with them. They'll set up other places for you to stay. But outside of that, it doesn't yeah. exist. It doesn't exist here. And, yeah, like you said, I mean, people in the UK have been really friendly to us. But it's not expected that you have that same level of hospitality. Yeah. And yeah, it's great. I mean, we were just blown away the first time we toured there. We yeah. were like, wow, we could be like this. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was yeah. really fun. Do you remember what year it was you kind of first came over to your? Wow. Well, actually, that's a long story. Um, the first time we ever came was right when we started the band. Mm. And we did a pretty extensive, uh, two pretty extensive tours in France. Um, we had a friend who we met in San Francisco who was a promoter and she wanted to bring us over there and do a tour. And we went over for in the summer, we did like a month long tour. And then we came back the next year and did the same mm. thing. And uh, it was mostly we, we came to southern France. We kind of based out of southern France. And like I said, um, you know, all the drives are so short for us. Yeah. So <laughs> they would say like, oh, we have a really long day today. And it would be like three hours. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is amazing. So uh we that was our like introduction yeah and um after that i mean i i had a great time on that tour we had a lot of fun um we didn't make any money sadly so we didn't end up going back a third time but we just had a blast and mm. i knew that after that i knew we were definitely going to try and come back and mm. yeah. with the solo tour this year did you reach out because it's booked through mutual friends there franziska and uh, mary lee and mm-hmm. um, did you reach out to them first or they, did they reach out to you about touring or they actually reached out to me yeah yeah which was great yeah and i said i mean we we um i said basically the same thing you were saying earlier is that i thought you know germany belgium and the netherlands are really like the best places to mm. play outside of the uk honestly <laughs> if i could extend this tour i would love to do that and and actually when we announced the tour a bunch of people in um england and and scotland especially were like hey what's going on you know why aren't you coming here and i was like i'd love to but um we didn't really get on it this time around mm. but yeah i suggested that that would be the best spot and i i do think that for the style of music it yeah. is kind of the the right spot to do it and they were like we have lots of contacts there and it wouldn't be a problem mm. which is awesome so i'm hoping that the tour will go well and i'll definitely be back mm. no i i truly and genuinely believe it's going to be a success i've seen the venues that you're playing and it's there's just your fucking there's such an amazing scene over there that you know you can't help but be envious of it's so good out there Mm-hmm. I know. I agree. I actually had such an awesome experience, like playing um, festivals in uh, Belgium, mm. especially with the band and and like a lot of the groups that they book. I'm like, man, this is like it's like I would have done it myself. Mm. You know, like if I was like, what would be a, a great <laughs> festival to get like bands from the States to come over to Belgium, you know, in a certain style? It's, yeah. it's like exact. It was amazing. I and mean, they do a great job over there. And so. Mm. yeah i'm stoked yeah and it's it's hard because you know i think i was one of the people who messaged to be like is there any uk i think i messaged a friend to be like is there any uk dates coming up but it's hard to kind of explain the difference in touring because you know it's only one kind of ferry trip but the costs go up in a way that people don't really expect or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's just these weird little add-ons and 
things that it just makes it harder and it's so such a weird thing to think that it's one ferry ride but it just gets much more difficult Mm -hmm. yeah it is it's logistically a lot harder i mean you know there's there's a lot of things you have to consider for sure i know it's a drag because it does seem like oh you're so close you know why not just go right over the water and honestly it is short i mean you're right it's easy but yeah there's a lot of other things that go into it i think people don't realize yeah you know there's there's um you got to get merch there. You got to get yep. your car there. You got to travel there. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of things to consider, but I'm hoping that what I could do next time, I mean, I'll be there with the band, which is yep. great. And we have four dates um, and, you know, apologies to the places we didn't make it, but we'll make it next time. But I'm mm-hmm. hoping that um, when I can come back solo, that I'll just play in England, Ireland, Scotland, mm-hmm. and that would be a great trip and well, well worth it. Yeah. I think if I could just focus on that, yeah, no problem. You know, yeah, that that's the thing that kind of you know you can kind of do one or the other, but to do both in one go. I know Bridge City Sinners did it in August last year, mm-hmm. but that was I think like thirty or forty dates. It was a fucking long time they were out for, and it is one of those things. It was like if you don't have that time or that concentration to do those things, it is better to you know do Europe one go, the UK the next go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And and that that's kind of the, the thing about it is that you sort of need to do 30 dates if you're going to yeah. do both, because otherwise it's just not enough, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I mean, we've had the same experience and that's why, you know, we're coming back with The Devil Makes Three, we only have four dates because, you know, we, we kind of need to keep it short this yeah. time. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, it's like 30 dates. It's a long, it's a long tour, but I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah, I'm hopeful next time come back yeah. solo and just do the UK. No, totally. And I don't feel like you've kind of made it as an artist unless there are people in the comments complaining that you aren't playing somewhere. That's true. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> so you say you're playing somewhere and nobody asks for you to play anywhere else. You're right. That That's actually a really good point. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you'll announce like a London date and someone will be like, well, why not Cambridge? And it's like, well, Cambridge is like an hour away. Just, you know make the trip yeah. down <laughs> oh yeah totally i know that's exactly how i feel uh with the with the case of ireland and scotland though, i mean that that's legit you know we've got to make a special trip there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. obviously you've got the uk tour from i think it's the 25th of may to the 11th of june mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, mean, that's including some europe dates as well with mm-hmm. obviously you were saying there's four uk dates is it you know a point of kind of hitting scotland and ireland and england i don't know if there was a welsh date but it mm-hmm. is kind of like you do want to cover, even in you know four dates, you want to cover as much of the UK as possible. Well, actually, this time around, we're only going to be playing in England. Mm. Uh, I want, yes, that is the goal, a hundred percent. But we just don't have enough time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would really like to do that. I mean, that that is the ultimate goal. And the last time, last time we went, we we just went to Scotland. We sort of have to break it up. Mm. Um, but yeah, ultimately, that would be the thing to do is to do them basically do, you know, split up the dates yeah. to as many different countries as we possibly can. And is this um, the last tour since I know you came over in 2018 and Beans on Toast, mm-hmm. who's been on the podcast opened? Was that the last time you were in the UK as the Devil Makes Three? It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was a really, really fun tour. Um, but obviously, then things got pretty yeah. complicated yeah. <laughs> for international it, yeah. travel. Yeah, no, it feels like those three years was just kind of a holding point. 
but also in a way that they didn't happen in terms of like tour and stuff. It's like you haven't been over in five years, but three of those years don't count. Yeah, exactly. I know it's kind of like, especially for musicians in general, like, you know, everything just went on hold. Yeah. It was like the pause button on our entire lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's funny. It it seems like no time has passed. And at the same time, it feels like, uh, you know, way too much time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I'm with kind of, is there, obviously you wrote your solo album that last came out in 2020. I think your last Devil Makes Three album was 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is there new music that you're working on for kind of both projects at the moment? Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah, there is. And um, like I said, you know, throughout the throughout the whole thing with covid it was really difficult for us to um get together and play yeah so we do yeah we do have material for both um but we've had we haven't had that much time to get together Mm. um and uh luckily that's possible now um a lot of bands during that time period were doing a lot of you know stuff online where they were sending tracks or kind of continuing to work but honestly we can't do that we're just not that kind of band Mm. it's like we need to be in the same room I think mm. in order to figure out our parts and yeah. write our harmonies and do all that. So yeah, we definitely have material. Um, and, and I have material for another solo record as well. Um, and it's just kind of a matter of banging it out. One, mm. one of the things that I like to do is to go on tour and play new material. Yeah. For me, it's like a way to um, see what's working. Yeah. I really kind of rely on like, you know, playing something to an audience and seeing what the reaction is, seeing how it feels to play it with the band or to play it by myself. And, mm. you know, sometimes you were like, well, that one is not going <laughs> to, it's not going to make it. <laughs> and other times, yeah. you know, the reaction's really good. So that's kind of what I'm planning on doing in the future is taking out new material and playing it live. Mm. No, definitely. I think you definitely have to like road test stuff, but it's also, you just get more comfortable in the song before you get to recording. You know when you're going to emphasize a word or have a certain mm-hmm. inflection on a phrase or, you know, when to pause. And it just, to road test the song is just an invaluable thing. Even, you know, to go back to open mics, to trial them out there is like something that really, really helps. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And I, and like I said, too, I really think it's like trial by fire. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It that is that, That's the truth. I think for, for me, you know, and uh, I've always done that. And it's part of the reasons why it takes us a long time to put out records, both me by myself and the band too, is that I kind of, I don't like to go in the studio and just do a tune without um, having that road testing take place. It's like a really important part of the process for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully I'll get to do that. I mean, the band has some gigs coming up. We've got the European tour coming up. I have the solo tour and then some dates in the United States. Um, And I'm hoping that if I can pull it off, I'll go to the West coast uh, in the fall. Mm. The band is going to do some festivals out there, but also I'm fingers crossed. might go do some shows with the bridge city centers. Oh, awesome. um, If it works out. So we'll see. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm with, kind of you've said the band's kind of like all over the country at the moment when did mm-hmm. kind of everyone move into the different places or have they always been in these different places no we all used to live in california yeah um from the beginning of the band for like the the 10 years following you know like 2012 maybe we were all generally in the same area mm. Um, but then after that i moved back to the east coast lucia moved back to the east coast we we um Cooper moved to Austin, Texas. Mm. 
Um, and then we added some members to the band. We have a fiddle player down in Nashville, a drummer who lives uh, here locally in New England. Mm. Um, so we kind of expanded the lineup a bit too, yeah. and that made it a little more complicated to get everybody together. Uh, but for the first, yeah, for the first like 10 years of the band's life, we were in California and we were in Santa Cruz together. Mm. Uh, we split up a little bit, moved to different places in California, but it was still fairly close together, just a couple hours apart. Mm. Um, but after a while, yeah, I think everybody, you know, life takes you in different directions. Yeah. Um, some of us wanted to be back. You know, I'm from New England. Lucia is from New England. You know, Cooper was uh, went to Austin, bought a house. You know, things just changed. People mm. went different places. Um, it just kind of happened naturally. And also at that point, we had started to tour more nationally. Yeah. Um, so it mattered a lot less. Mm. Uh, when we first started out, it was really important. I mean, you know, we like basically lived in the same house, you know, <laughs> and then after a while, I was like, well, we're going to be touring all over. It doesn't really matter if you live in Texas or mm. you live in Boston or you live in Nashville, we're going to go there eventually. So it became easier. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, you know, um, now it's definitely a little more complicated. Was there any apprehension when you kind of had these conversations about moving and things that? Like- you know, making sure that the band could keep going. Obviously, you know, with the help of kind of the level you're at now, it is national tours. So you're not having to get into a van to win people over. It is, you know, you're booking, you know, mm-hmm. shows and stuff and people are coming out for it. Was there a conversation about how it would look or was it kind of you knew at that position as you moved on, it was going to be secure? Yeah, we knew at that point. I mean, I, you know, we were spending more time gone than we were at home. Mm. And at that point, it you know, or at least half the time traveling mm. every year. And at that point, you know, where where you're living is kind of irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just a place that you go for the six months that you're not traveling. Um, and, you know, those those six months were never back to back. So mm. it would be off and on. We'd go back and forth and back and forth. And at that point, it just seemed. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us knew that we were going to be traveling a lot. And that, you know, wherever we called home was kind of just where we spent half of the year. Mm. Um, and yeah, of course, that changed when we all went home full time. <laughs> then it was like, wow, we live a long way apart. This is difficult. <laughs> but before that, you know, we were meeting up so much for touring. Yeah, It really didn't matter mm. as long as there was an airport nearby. Yeah. yeah. No, awesome. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I really appreciate you sitting down and chatting to us and i really you know can't wait for you to hit europe for this tour i know it's going to be killer with clyde and then hopefully i get to see you in here may as well when you come to the uk up my neck of the woods yeah thanks so much this is great and i'm looking forward to the tour and definitely looking forward to the tour of the band as well so hopefully we'll we'll get over to see you uh next time if not solo then with the band no awesome well i can't wait for the manchester date in may cool have it folks that was pete bernard of the devil makes three make sure you see him in europe when you can across march and april and he is coming to the uk with the devil makes three in may he's hitting manchester nottingham london and bristol so make sure you can see him when you can also don't forget to check out mike and the moon pies and make sure you come see me and luke hendrickson when we are around in april until then keep supporting the things you love keep doing the things you love peace